at the Lord's Chapel. And Wayne was coming back to the Lord after a protracted period of prodigal land. And that was something that I could identify with as well. And the Lord knit our hearts together. Uh, even though over the years there, we had quite a bit of separation. And then he, I guess 16, 18 years ago, whatever, brought us back together here. A week or so ago, Wayne uh, emailed me after one of the sermons in the worship series and was talking about how much he had gotten out of it. And I said, you know, brother, I, I, a lot of what I know about worship I got from you, learned from you, because he definitely went beyond me. And that's, that's, really what, that's really what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Uh, I, think, I think worship pastors should produce worship pastors who are better and greater and bigger than they are, and pastors should produce pastors who are better and greater and bigger than they are. And you know what? Teachers should produce teachers who are better and bigger and greater, and insurance salesmen, insurance salesmen, and truckers, truckers, and whatever it is you do, it should be so that others can be exalted and lifted up because that's how Jesus lived. And uh, we are very, very privileged this morning in our worship series to uh, be instructed by our worship pastor. Would you welcome Wayne Berry? Where is he? <laughs> Where did he go? Where did he go? Good morning again. I hope. That's wonderful. Call and response. I love it. Um, as, you, as you may have noticed, I have changed my attire into something a little more militant for today. I did this because we're going to have basically a, a class on militaryismness did. <laughs> I'm just getting you acquainted with Wayne speak here at the top. Uh, I actually did this for the visual learners among us and for all of you in the comfort of your own iPad <laughs> and for those of you that are watching <clears throat> in the smart phone zone. I'm just looking at the youngins. I'm just looking at the youngins. Um, it's a, uh, a, an honor and a privilege to have this time before you. I thank Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Margaret for actually helping me to get to this spot. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So I just want to take opportunity and to defer to them and tell them how much I love them and how much I appreciate them. Today is uh, <clears throat> going to be a class on worship warfare or worship as warfare. You thought that you came to a corporate worship service. Actually, you came to a corporate worship service that has now led you into a classroom. I can tell by your silence that you're all really thrilled with that. And in order for us to make the transition from where we were to where we're going, I, I would like everyone, if you would, to put your hand on your forehead and just say to yourself, engage. Okay. Because this is not going to be a sermon as such. Um, it's basically going to be a time of teaching 
on worship theology in matters of worship warfare. And in the process of doing this, since it's not a sermon and it really doesn't set itself up, at least I don't think, uh, for an altar time, we will open the altar at the end for anyone that has any, any kind of prayer need that you have. And if something, the Holy Ghost prompts something in the service that, that would require you or encourage you to be prayed for or prayed with, we'll certainly do that. But the nature of this time together is going to be classwork. And those of you that have been in class with me, <laughs> um, you, you know that on an occasion, pop quizzes happen in my classes. So let me warn you now, there will be no pop quiz today. But there could be in the future. Remember that engage part I had you do? I was serious about that. What we cover today will, will certainly not be exhaustive. Well, you may get exhausted in the process, but it's not going to be exhaustive. <laughs> but if you look in your bulletin starting next week, there's going to be a class series that I'm going to teach specifically on worship as warfare, starting the first Wednesday in October and running for, I think, nine weeks. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because there'll be a link uh, in the information in the bulletin about a book that you'll need. And I'm saying this now because if you feel prompted to take the class, I want you to get the book so we have books in the class the first time we gather. Okay? So if you would put the slide up and park that right there and let me pray over us. Blessed Father, Lord of hosts, God of the angel armies. I don't have to tell you that we're a ragtag army. You know that. But we, in this moment, in these preceding moments, we ask you, we solicit, we beckon the Holy Ghost to move as our instructor, our teacher, our model, our drill sergeant, whatever the Holy Ghost needs to be to help us move to a point of revelation and understanding based on what you want us to learn. We just collectively yield this up to you for your kingdom's sake and for our Savior's honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone breathing in the house said, amen. Okay, what I need to do is I need to lay a foundation for you before we go where... I need to take the class. And it fundamentally deals with this. There's an insert in your bulletin for those of you who have it, and, and this is in the bulletin as well. We worship God with our praise, and we praise God when we worship. Uh, that, that little axiom is, is a phrase that serves, I guess, sort of as a teaching model or an indicator of what I want to share with you initially to build some foundation. The contemporary church in the last generation or maybe the last two generations has made what I believe is a grievous mistake in terms of how we approach worship and praise. I don't think it's biblical. I'm not really going to develop that thought. If you have any question or exception to what I'm saying, we can talk about that at another time. But he, here's what I think we've done. In fact, I know we've done this. And, and I think the, the larger responsibility has to do with worship pastors and worship leaders that basically did not do their homework. 
including me, I'll put my hand up, did not do our homework in terms of biblical theology to realize that we were cre allowing something to be created in our churches. It's not a sin. You know, it's not, we're not messing up big time, but we've sent a signal to one another that's just not biblical. And this is how this works. If you have a coin in your pocket or two or in your billfold or uh, uh, purse, could you get it out, please? And I should probably explain, because I know we have a lot of younger folk in this class. A coin is a, was a, a realm of exchange that people used to use. They actually carried money. And so when you said, do you have uh, any money? you have any coins? you have any coinage? you have any change? The response was, oh, yeah, yeah sure, as opposed to what? Money? So... I, there, are, there are some older folk here that still have money, and if some, if some of you younger folk don't know what a coin is or don't have one, you could raise your hand, like, you know, subtly, and we could kind of toss money your way. <laughs> Change. Don't throw quarters. Don't throw quarters. What was that country tune? I'm sorry, bear with me. I'm having a conversation with myself. What was that country tune? Oh, right. Here's a quarter. Call, call somebody who cares. I don't know if it was a little anecdotal story. Bear with me. Uh, um, it was a hit. No, no, no. It was a hit. Here's a quarter. It was a hit somewhere. Here's a, here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Thank you very much. See, uh, okay. So what are you listening to when you're not here? Oh. And he went on the road because it was a huge hit. And, and, and he started asking, and, and as fans are prone to do, people started bringing quarters, and they started throwing them at the stage. And guys were getting their eyes blacked out, and, you know, the guitars were getting knocked out of tune. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't throw any money that, well, you could throw money this way toward the stage because uh, I'm usually here when everybody else leaves. Okay, so we worship God with our praise, and we praise God when we worship. Take the coin, and if you don't have a coin, pretend like you know what one is, and look at one side of that coin, and you'll see some sort of image, depending upon what piece of money you have. It, now, if you turn that over, you'll see a different image. Now, if you have two coins, or if you were pretending that you had two coins, you could hold one coin in one hand, and the other coin in the other hand, and you would have two coins that were separated. Okay, and you could say, metaphorically, one of these coins is worship and the other coin is praise. And so you would have a separate, two separate subjects or two separate events or two separate manifestations, which is basically what we have in the church now. Fundamentally, we think praise is fast music. It usually comes at the beginning of the service. And slow music is worship, and it usually comes at the end or halfway through. That's, in fact, that's what we do here. I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, starting next week, that's all going to change. I know some of you know me thinking that's what we're going to do, but we're not. I'm submitted to my pastor. But here's the difficulty. This is my front. This is my back. If I were cloned... That would be really frightening. <laughs> Two of me on the planet at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. 
See me after. <laughs> if I were over here as one individual and this were my front, and I, were over, and I was over here, were over, I was over here as a separate individual, and this was my back, we would be separated. Front would be here, back would be here. There would be a distance between the two. One would be, metaphorically, worship, and the other would be, metaphorically, praise. The problem is that worship and praise are not separate. They are distinct. They are two sides of the same coin. This is my front. This is my back. Where did Wayne go? He's right here. I'm just turning around. Worship and praise, biblically, aren't divided by being separated. They're divided by being distinct. In the Bible, going from shouting and dancing in the river to on your face crying in the next breath is justifiable and biblically correct. Now, the difficulty when we've allowed this to happen is that in our minds, remember engage, in our, not in our spirits, not in our soul, in our minds, we now think Fast music is praise and slow music is worship. However, we worship God with our praise and we praise God when we worship. The two do not separate out. They manifest distinctly. If you're giving somebody or something worship, part of the way you worship is to give them praise. Engage. Conversely, if you're giving somebody praise, worship is flowing into that person or that thing. Lord, I praise you. Excuse me, let me flip a switch, and now I will worship you. It's not biblical. I, I'm, I can't get into detail, and I can't chapter and verse with you because that's really not what I want to teach about. We're going to teach, I'm going to teach about worship as warfare. But see, if I don't explain to you that worship and praise are distinct, not separate, then what I'm going to share next won't work. Because if I say worship is warfare, you will not be thinking praise. Do, do, am I making just a little bit of sense? Okay. You have to think distinct but not separate. So when praise is happening, worship is activated. When worship is happening, praise is activated. It just depends upon how it's manifesting. High dance, celebrative dance, is biblically an act of praise. Pastor dealt with this, I think, two or three weeks ago when you dealt with all the aspects, clapping and shouting and all of that. Praise biblically has high energy connected to it. It has shouts. It has volume. It has playing with a loud noise. And worship has reverence and humility and, uh, you know, respect. It has all of that connected to it. But you can't think of them as two ends of a spectrum. You've got to think of them this way. You with me? Okay. In light of that, could you run this video, please?
Yeah, I want to thank Nathan and the two um, so-called actors for <laughs> helping with that. You did an excellent job. Give credit where credit's due. It's in our Bible somewhere. It's in the skinny part. Now, here's the deal, class. We don't think about worship as warfare because we have been conditioned to think the word worship and the word warfare don't fit together. They seem like oxymorons. They, they seem like they don't belong unless we're singing and taking on postures that look like what we know warfare looks like. Um, um, what's the song? I'm trying to think of a song with warfare lyrics. Somebody help me. The battle belongs to the Lord. Thank you. Uh, when we sing the battle belongs to the Lord, what you do in your head is you go into battle posture because you're singing a song that's got fight or warfare or tear something down or blow something up. And we think that's when warfare is happening. But any of us that do any just general reading in the Word over time begin to go, if we're paying attention, begin to go, well, wait a second. That's not really good theology because there are things in Scripture that make it clear that warfare happens 24-7, 365, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, if you're a child of the kingdom. Here's how we know this. Um, could you put up those, that other slide? Christ came bringing good news and deliverance and healing and hope and salvation. And he got crucified for it. Everything he came to earth to do was good. In fact, it was perfect. In fact, it was sovereign God's plan for the redemption of the whole world. Those that believe and those that don't believe. The redemptive act of Christ, God in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting anybody's trespasses beforehand, is so that everybody that's ever been on the planet and ever will be can be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Do you, do you understand that? He, he loved us into the kingdom before we ever accepted him. I'm not saying everybody will be saved. What I'm saying is everybody has the opportunity to be saved because the reconciling work of Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, has already taken place before the foundation of the world. So if Christ came bringing all of that positive information and he got killed for it, although that was clearly God's plan, death, burial, and resurrection, seated at the right hand of the Father, okay, coming back as our uh, kinsman redeemer, all of that taking place, it's, it still cost him his life. Okay, so... Christ is in us and we're in Christ. He's our hope of glory. He's our blessed hope. In him we live and move and have our being. He is in our lives. So if he's in our lives, we are called to be models of his or surrogates of his. That's probably the wrong use of the word. We're, we're called to be little, if I can put it this way. We're called to be little Christ, plural. We're called to be Christians. Thank you, Pastor. And in the process of doing that, we are called to walk in what he walked in. Yes, so 
This passage, where'd we go? Is this where we are? Oh, we skipped that in the first service, didn't we? Thank you. Okay. Put a, in, in your mental margin, take what I just said and put a little pause right there, like dot, dot, dot. Okay. Thank you for doing that. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma of death to death. To the other, aroma from life to life. This is what this passage is functionally saying. I come in the room with some high-end, very expensive cologne. And I walk in, and as I go past you all, you go, man, that smells really good. Where did you buy that? Can I Google that? You know, is there some way I can find it? I want some of that. I walk out of here. I go somewhere where there is one or more pagans wearing the same cologne. Look at the passage. And they go, somebody in here smells bad. It's the same cologne. How we smell to one another, the fragrance of Christ in our lives, Smells like death to people that are not in the kingdom yet. So let me ask you this. Why are you surprised when people that don't know Christ and are not in the kingdom treat you like dung? Why, why does that surprise us? Uh, put up that Matthew passage, please. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That verse can work two ways. They are persecuted for righteousness because they're walking in the kingdom. Or because they're working, walking in the kingdom, they are going to get persecuted for righteousness. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about militancy. We're talking about warriorhood that most of you don't understand. Put up the Peter passage, please. Beloved, think it not strange, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Uh, King James says, think it not strange, the fiery trial that awaits you. Saints, we think fiery trials are strange. They're not strange. This is enemy territory. We're living in a fallen world. We are representing a kingdom that is not of this world. So the stuff that happens to us that looks like circumstance, you know the video we were just watching? One thing looks one way to those that are in the kingdom. It looks another way to those that are out of the kingdom. When that dynamic is at work and you begin to understand it, then things like this change. You walk out of your house to go to work, and the car, your car sitting parked at the curb, as you start to get in the car, you look around and you realize the side that's nearest the road has been sideswiped, the mirror's been knocked off, you've got hundreds of dollars after your deductible, and nobody left a card, nobody said, here's my cell number, call me, I'm sorry I hit your car, it's not there. Your first response is to go off on this person. Let's get real. Come on, there should be more laughter because you, you all know it's the truth. Yeah, yeah, is to go off on the person as if the person's the problem. The person is not the problem. 
if the person didn't leave anything to explain that they were sorry and to contact me so we can sort out insurance agents and so forth, then obviously the issue is this person doesn't get it. No Christian would do that. So we go off on a human being. But if the human being didn't respond in, if you will, a Christ-like way or a kingdom way or a moral way or an ethical way, then you can figure that what happened when that person did that, their basic response was fallen. It was sin. They were doing what sinful people do. They act like sinners. Why are we surprised? Now, I know that you understand I'm not saying this room has no sinners in it. That's... <laughs> Let's see a show of hands. What I'm getting at is we act like unbelievers are supposed to act like us. And this is becoming really problematic because we're not acting in love and we're not acting in grace and we're not acting like we understand that an opposing enemy, even if he's a human being has got influences outside his life that are directing him in a way that many of us used to go that we don't go anymore. Our lives, at least in theory, have been changed by redemption through Christ Jesus and the blood covering over us. And we are being sanctified. So anybody here that sideswipes another car, I hope you're paying attention. Stop, put it in park, go back and leave a note. Because that would be the Christ-like way to respond, okay? But when we're standing by our car going off on this fictitious person, maybe even saying things and using language that not, we wouldn't want anybody to hear, we're missing the point that this person who is an unbeliever will say, a sinner who is not sensitized to biblical values, is basically being driven by the enemy, by imps, by little gremlins, you know, think, you know, whatever, whatever those forces are, like in um, um, Lord of the Rings, you know, all these little weird, or, or in Star Trek, or, in, you know, or any of these, these, these um, superhero movies, you know. I mean, there, there's, there's all this other stuff happening that we act like we don't have a clue about, but Scripture's made it clear. Don't think it's strange when you're getting hit on. But we do, and the reason we do is because we don't think like warriors. We don't think like soldiers. Now, here's, here's how this plays out. Every act of worship is an act of war. Trying to, uh, uh, trying to chapter and verse that with you, I can't do in this time frame. But you saw a glimpse of that on the video we watched. Here's how this works. There are things that we do when we're engaged as worshipers that we think basically stay in this room. They don't stay in this room. They go out of this room because the Holy Ghost can take anything that's given him and use it any way he wants to. Are you breathing? The point that I'm trying to get you to is to get you to understand in the next 10 minutes or so, 
that there is more power and more presence and more accomplishment for the sake of the kingdom than we realize with our little nickel and dime praise and worship. One of the things that happens in our, I, I said our nickel and dime, I didn't say yours. I'm including mine in the process. Wherever we think we've arrived in praise and worship, we're not even, we're not, we haven't even scratched the surface. Because our praise and worship isn't limited to what the band's playing and what's on the overhead and how long we're in the service. Romans 12:1. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So every, in a very real sense, everything we say and do is worship if we are engaged as spirit people. Okay? Over here, often in this service, Tammy Dozier is... Here. She's here often. Sometimes she's smiling and looking up. More often than not, she's looking down and crying. What that looks like to us is she's having an encounter. She's broken. She's in humility. You know, she's worshiping God. That's what it looks like to us. To the enemy, what the enemy doesn't actually see happening is that Tammy is planning IEDs. Somebody ought to get it. She's doing stuff there that's affecting the heavenlies. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. We know that. Most of us know that. And then it goes on to say right after that, in light of the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against something. Hello? We wrestle against something or somebody. If that's the case, then we need armament, which is what happens about two verses or three verses later. Take on the helmet of salvation, the, the, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith. Those components, saints, are not just poetic metaphors. It's not like you've got a shield in your closet. You know, you know, well, some of us might. Depends, depends upon how literal you want to be. But all of those things are there, according to Ephesians, for a reason. And the reason is because we wrestle against powers and principalities in high places. If we weren't doing that wrestling, we wouldn't need the armament. If we need the armament, then we're called to do the wrestling. So since we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, since that's not what we're called to do, we must be battling something that we can't see. Hello? So when she does that, what we can't see is what the enemy sees. And what the enemy sees is unbelievably devastating to the enemy. Where is, where's, where's some dancers, Gene? I need a couple dancers, Gene. Um, dancers, praise and most, somebody. Come. Okay. I don't need ten. Yeah, I was looking for you. Come, come. I need about three. Just, just simple just simple high worship. Just, just, no, just, just, okay. Now that's beautiful. And that's expressive. And we see that. But what the enemy sees when we do that is this.
Every act of worship is an act of war. When you lift up holy hands like this, you're, you're, you're pitching out hand grenades. When, when you're... When, when, when you extend your hands up in adoration, you've got a mortar over your shoulder, taking out principalities and powers in high places. When you start shedding tears and those tears are falling down, they're nitroglycerin to the enemy. You're doing damage. You're tearing down strongholds. You're breaking through into places that you haven't a clue about. And the only thing that's required to do it is not the understanding first. It's the engagement, which Pastor has been talking about for the last five weeks. You have to get engaged. You can't wait till you come to this room to get engaged as a worshiper. You've got to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth every waking hour that you have because you don't know what enemy has been dis uh, uh, assigned or dispatched to mess with your day or your night. you got to get serious about who you're worshiping. Amen. Amen. Not serious about who saved you. Serious about who you're worshiping now. In order to do that, you have to get engaged. The theology or the understanding or the head place comes progressively. That's the way revelation works. Revelation isn't, bam, I've got it. It's, bam, I got some of it. I hope this progresses in my life. That's free. Re revelation is progressive. Without a revelation, God's people perish is a reasonable translation, but it's not sound. It's not fully accurate. It really needs to read, without a progressive revelation, God's people perish. You, we need revelation all the time. Fiona, could you? Yes. Now, let me do this. For all of you that are, for some of you that are going, you crazy. <laughs> One of the reasons we don't know this stuff is because it's not taught on. We also don't know it because we've not yielded ourselves to it in our own personal studies of the Word. And another reason we don't know it, frankly, I mean, this is God's mercy, but frankly, we don't know it because as a nation, although we've been in wars as long as we've all been here, World wars and wars where, like, for example, like what happens in Israel, where, you know, when people walk out of the house, they're not sure they're going to get to school because war is more in among them. You understand what I'm saying? We're removed from the actual battlefield, the battlefront, so we don't think about it. What I'm trying to get you to do is think about it so you realize it's not strange when a fiery trial hits you. It goes with the territory. So let me real quickly ground this in Scripture so you know that there is actually a place in the Bible where this comes from. This comes from the fat part. It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you will, sister. Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Listen, Judah and Jerusalem, listen to what I have to say. Believe firmly in God, your God, and your lives will be firm. Believe in your prophets and you'll come out on top. After talking it over with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed a choir for God. Dressed in holy robes, they were to march ahead of the troops, singing, give thanks to God, his love never quits. 
As soon as they started shouting and praising, God set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir as they were attacking Judah, and they all ended up dead. The Ammonites and the Moabites mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. Then, further confused, they went at each other and all ended up killed. As Judah came up over the rise, looking into the wilderness for the horde of barbarians, they looked on a killing field of dead bodies, not a living soul among them. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to carry off the plunder, they found more loot than they could carry off. Equipment, clothing, valuables, it took three days to cart it all away. And on the fourth day, they came together at the Valley of Blessing and blessed God. And that's how it got the name, Valley of Blessing. Jehoshaphat then led all the men of Judah and Jerusalem back to Jerusalem, an exuberant parade. God had given them joyful relief from their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and came to the temple of God with all the instruments of the band playing. Okay, that's an Old Testament story. So it's Old Covenant. So how that was working had to do with real people with real instruments of battle, you know, cutting off ears and knocking people over and shooting people with arrows off of horses. That's how that happened. That's how that story was happening in those days. The context for the story is this. Jehoshaphat is king of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the tribe of praise. They were known. Say known. They were known for the fact that they were praisers, worshipers, if you will, distinct, not separate. And a prophet comes to Jehoshaphat. There are three armies massed together. Uh, the tribe of Judah is completely outnumbered, and these tribes are basically going to go into battle with them and functionally kill them all. Prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and says, the Holy, uh, Je Jehovah has spoken to me, and what we need to do is we need to put the choir out front. Now, the tribe of Judah had soldiers. They had armament. They had arrows and so forth, shields, so forth, and spears, swords. But the word of the Lord was to put the worshipers in front. Now, being a worship pastor and being involved with Levites and singers and musicians and dancers and so forth for years and years and years, I can only imagine what it would be like to turn to the singers and go, here's the deal. We're going to go outside, and an army has just invaded America, and they're in our parking lot. And what we need to do is we need to go out there and sing, oh, I don't know, let's sing Deep Cries Out, or let's sing Rock of Ages. Let's just sing something. And they look at each other and they go, well, let's sing something simple because I'm so scared. I, I'll never remember the verses, so let's just sing a chorus. And they go out and they just sing one line. Yeah, you know, give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. Now, we don't know whether they walk 50 feet or five miles because Scripture didn't tell us that. We know this. There are three armies amassed against them, and they can't see them. Say, can't see them. Say it one more time with gusto. They cannot see their enemy, but they know their enemy is there. And they go out. Did you flip back? Yeah. Uh, they go out, and this is what happens. You know the section I'm talking about? As soon as they started shouting and praising. Wait, wait. Read it again. As soon as they started shouting and praising, God set ambushes. Oh, read it one more time. As soon as they started shouting and praising. God set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir as they were attacking, and they all ended up dead. 
the only thing that happened in the natural, if you'd have been watching the experience, is singers, worshipers, just opened their mouths. And started offering up praise and worship. They didn't know what had happened in the enemy camp because they can't see the enemy. When they get to the crest of the hill thinking, I'm surprised we made it this far. That'll preach. Oh. Aren't you? I am. When they get to the crest of the hill, they look over, and all of the enemies are dead. They've killed each other. And the perk is, now that they're not dead, uh, the, the tribe of Judah, and their enemies are dead, all of this plunder, all the stuff, gold, silver, rugs, cattle, sheep, all of that is there, and it takes them three days to gather all this stuff up. And the only way they got the stuff was saying, give thanks to the Lord because his worship, because his mercy endures forever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're praying a lot of prayers for the Lord to give stuff to us. Favor and possessions and a new car and a big, and I, I don't mean materialism. I, I don't mean, and health and and, and um. Our families is uh, delivered into the kingdom. They got the plunder because all they did was worship. All they did was worship. That's all they did was worship. Uh, New Testament, please. Uh, Acts 16. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, and all the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. When Paul stopped him, don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody has run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? They said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus. Then you'll live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the master. The entire family got in on this part. They never did go to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home, dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning, was baptized, he and everyone in his family. There in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. Thank you, Fiona. Praise team, could you ease up, please? New Testament, new covenant. Grace, not law. Paul and Silas are in trouble for upholding the kingdom. They've had their backs beaten, torn open. They're bleeding. They're in prison. They're chained up. By all appearances, it looks hopeless. Paul turns to Silas and says, this would be a good time to have a worship service. Silas says, I'm with you, Jack. What you want to sing? 
Paul says, I don't know, let's sing 10,000 reasons. Or let's sing, for my good, you did it all for my good. One spot on the planet, two voices. The other guys in jail are flipping out. They're going, what's up with these guys? I mean, look at their backs. I mean, their backs are ripped apart, and they're singing. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> Jehovah is up here in the high and holy place. He's in Zion. He's inhabiting Zion. He goes, angels, come, Gabriel, y'all come. L listen at this. Look, look what they're doing. Listen to what they're doing. There's no reason for them to do what they're doing, and they're jammed up. Their bodies are hurt, and they're in chains. They need out of there. Somebody, run, run, get my earthquake boots. He, he, strap, he straps them things on, and he goes, I'm going to set them free. The whole place shakes. Chains fall off. Jailer runs in, scared to death, says, I know I'm a goner now because they've all run away. Paul says, not to worry, we're here. Jailer says, I don't get it. I don't know how you could live like this. What do you got that I don't have? Come on. Engage. They lead him to the Lord. He goes back to his family. The family's led to the Lord. They all get baptized, and they throw down, and they have a party. The party that they had looks exactly like the party in 2 Chronicles 20. The plunder that the uh, uh, tribe of Judah picked up and took three days to bring back that was stuff in the natural, real stuff, you understand? Cool hats and stuff like that, okay? In the New Testament, what happened is people, not stuff, human beings, people that needed to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of light were brought in because Paul and Silas just sung a hymn. That's all they did. They just sung a hymn. They didn't do it to get delivered. Oh, that'll preach. They, they did it because he's worthy of all praise and adoration. Anytime you have a breath, let everything that has breath praise him means if you got breath, praise him. My God. Now, here's the deal. We're, 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 we're real tight on time. We're going to move to the altar. I'm going to have pastor come up. If you have a prayer need, if there's something you need to pray for or about, your release come. And some of you that are helping some of our intercessors and our counselors and so forth, could you come down? But I, as they're coming, I want to say one thing. Worship warfare is serious business. The enemy is rough. And the enemy's got a lot of power on his side. <laughs> but our God is bigger and bolder and more capable. And he has some really unbelievable earthquake shoes. If you want deliverance, if you're praying for stuff, if there's people in your families that you want to see come into the kingdom, maybe all you need to do is start singing some hymns. Or start dancing. Remember, this is, hey, 
<laughs> Pastor, would you, would you come if you've got prayer needs? Don't be shy. Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is worthy of all praise above all and through all and in all may true worship and praise of him rise up in you may it breathe life into your mortal being and may it bring light and freedom understanding to those you encounter through Jesus Christ our Lord. 